Welcome to Tango Bravo. Join us as we delve into the real-world experiences and stories of everyday veterans. Today, we will begin with a series that will provide an in-depth look into the lives and stories of three American veterans. These stories cover deeply personal elements of the day-to-day -day aspects of the lives of American service members. It is a profound privilege to be able to share these stories with you. Join us as we experience life through the eyes of an American veteran. I'm Frank. I was a private first class in the United States Marine Corps. I joined in 2007 and served active duty till 2012. I was infantry with 3rd Light Armor Reconnaissance Battalion out of 29 Palms, California, Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center. So I left for Marine Corps boot camp in 2007. And I got on a plane that took me to the San Diego airport where I got on a bus with my fellow other new recruits. And the first thing we were instructed to do was basically tuck your head between your legs. Don't look out the windows. So we rode on a bus for I don't know how long until the bus stopped. And immediately upon the bus stopping, the door flung open and a Marine Corps drill instructor runs on the bus and yells, get off my bus right now. And then starts screaming and cursing. And that's when I realized, what the hell have I got myself into? You're not prepared for it. You think you've watched videos, you think you've researched it, but nothing prepares you for that moment. That moment when you realize, shit, did I screw up? Why did I sign this contract? And so you file out of the bus, falling over each other, clutching whatever little possessions you have with you, and they make you line up on these yellow footprints. There's just yellow footprints at a perfect 45 degree angle and everyone has to stand on one. And everyone's shaking, everyone's uncertain. You're being screamed at by multiple drill instructors. I don't know how long I stayed on those footprints, but then they yell at us to get inside. And as you enter through the door, there's a big red with gold writing, and it says, through this portal, walks the future of the United States Marine Corps. I didn't know it was on the other side of that door, but I found out. On the other side of that door, you go into receiving. So they basically sit you down in the barber, the barber just shears off everybody's hair. People have been growing this hair their whole lives, and it's now gone. Everybody's uniform. Everyone has a shaved head. Everyone looks the same. We all bleed green now. We're all Marine Corps recruits. Then they shuffle you into another room where they search your stuff, and you have to get rid of all of your belongings, any books you brought, any pictures. All that stuff gets, gets essentially taken. You're allowed to keep uh, a, a few things. It was already nighttime when I got there. I, I, I don't know what time it was, but it was dark. This was in November. So it could have been 5 o'clock, it could have been 8 o'clock. This process continues. We're issued gear, we're issued running shoes, our camouflage, our camis. And then we're ushered into a room with payphones. We're allowed to make one phone call to let our parents or our loved ones know that we made it to boot camp. If your parents don't pick up, it's too damn bad. Then we have to go through the in-processing, filling out paperwork, filling out things, but this is not a fun adventure. We're still being screamed at, we're standing, nobody's telling us what's happening. We've been up for God knows how long. I mean, it could be two in the morning at this point. 
and then we're basically falling asleep standing up but also too freaked out to fall asleep eventually that night you get ushered into a squad bay with with bunk beds and everyone's allowed to go to sleep and I can only speak for myself but I was sitting there like what the hell just happened it's like a bomb went off in my life I had no idea what to make of my current surroundings there was a little bit of light in the room I remember being too nervous to even get up and go to the bathroom because I didn't want to get screamed at by a drill instructor after I believe a few days of being in receiving you finally pick up with your company on a Friday they call that Black Friday everybody moves their stuff into the squad bay and moves to the front of the room they call it the bulkhead quarter deck and then in a ceremony we're introduced to our drill instructors and I remember they came flying out of the duty hut in a single file line marching all in perfect synchronization perfect uniforms menacing looks on their face and they introduced themselves from there all hell broke loose we were screamed at messed with the whole the whole object of boot camp is to break down a nasty civilian and build them up into United States Marine now Marine Corps boot camp is 13 weeks almost double that of most other boot camps and 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 basic trainings one major difference of Marine Corps boot camp is that we are not called by our rank we are not called anything but recruits because we have not earned the title yet Marine in fact at the start of boot camp you're wearing your camis but you're not even allowed to wear Marine Corps issue boots you're wearing what's called go fasters or running shoes and you just basically roll up the bottom of your cami bottoms your, your, your pants because you haven't earned that privilege yet to wear boots now Marine Corps boot camp is very tough you're, you're constantly stressed you wake up at early hours you go to bed and the entire time you're awake you're being messed with you're being terrorized by the drill instructors every little thing that you do that's still civilian like they will break it out of you you're gonna sound off and you're gonna sound off loudly so the first couple weeks of boot camp is basically you're assimilating to boot camp you're learning how to march you're basically learning basically how to be a marine eventually you'll get past that phase that's called first phase of boot camp and you'll move into second phase so while you're still in first phase you're basically getting conditioned you're you're learning how to PT physical training you're being punished for the mistakes you make there's something in Marine Corps boot camp called IT or incentive training at any given time if you mess up the drone instructor can bring you on the quarter deck the big flat cement area in the room and do push-ups until he's tired sit-ups till he's tired jumping jacks until he's tired whatever he yells out you're gonna switch to that position and start doing that exercise until you can't even move your arms eventually you move into second phase and that's when you are able to start blousing your cami bottoms over your boots you get to wear your boots and you really start to resemble what could be a United States Marine you start to learn more complex skills you eventually go to the rifle range they transport you on a bus and they take you up to 
Camp Pendleton, where you go through what's called Grass Week. Basically, that's teaching you the weapon system, the M16. You learn how to snap in, which is basically dry firing at a barrel with some little targets on it. You, you go uh, in front of what's called PMI, Primary Marksmanship Instructors, and they teach you everything you need to know about how to fire that weapon and how to fire it effectively at your target. Then you go to the rifle range and you do your qualifications. Now they have marksman, sharpshooter, or expert. And then if you don't shoot well at all, you can, you can unk, unk, which means you didn't qualify at all in the rifle range and you have to repeat. It's everyone's biggest fear. Everyone's biggest fear in boot camp is failure. Not being able to hold to the standards of the Marine Corps and, and claim that ultimate title. So once we go through the rifle range, they bus us back to Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego, and we finish out second phase. Now all while we're doing these phases, we're doing battalion humps, marches, hikes, whatever you want to call them. They get progressively longer, 5K, 10K, and that's to get us conditioned for the third phase of boot camp. So the third phase of boot camp, that's when you really start to become a United States Marine. Everyone's marching in sync with proficiency and a quickness. You're drilling every day, waiting for final drill. Final drill is what happens at the end of boot camp, where your drill instructor marches you with the other platoons, and you guys basically do a, a drill performance of sorts. So you're going through all of this. And then finally, the Marine Corps boot camp culminates in what's called the Crucible. The Crucible is a 54-mile, three-day event. You basically pack all of your gear into a large main pack, and you are given two MREs to last you over the three days. Uh, and during this, you hike 54 miles. You do a intense and large amount of rigorous exercises, uh, skill-building exercises. You body box uh, one of your fellow Marines. You march some more. You hike some more. You go to another exercise. You have to climb what's called the stairway to heaven, which is basically a giant ladder 100 feet in the air. You have to climb up one side and down the other side. But as you get higher, the rungs get farther apart. And so you really have to use your upper body strength and, and get past your fear of, of heights, of falling. All of these are what brings you together with your, with your platoon in boot camp. You're, you're no greater than the man next to you and you're nothing without them. It's all team building exercises. All grueling. You get about, I think, five hours of sleep the whole time. You're, you're in this three days. Uh, and it really challenges you to your core. For a lot of Marines, they will never do anything harder in their career, believe it or not. It finally ends in what's called the Reaper hike. Now the Reaper, AKA Mount Motherfucker, is a large mountain, the biggest mountain at Camp Pendleton. So you go back up north to Camp Pendleton for, for the Crucible. And at zero dark 30, you begin your ascent of the Reaper. Now the Reaper is insanely physically demanding. Uh, you start off as a platoon. You're in marching formation, four across. But it's too physically demanding to stay in that formation. So little pockets of Marines branch off. One of the most beautiful things that I saw in boot camp was seeing others help others up, up the Reaper and during the Crucible. 
I myself had two main packs. I grabbed a main pack from a buddy who was falling out and a couple rifles because it's it's not about what you're carrying up there. It's about making it to the top, becoming a United States Marine. You see, your ultimate goal is at the top of that mountain. So, another beautiful part of boot camp. There was uh, two of us, uh, three, excuse me, three of us together at the end when we were getting close to the peak of the Reaper. It was a good buddy of mine, Singh, and a good buddy of mine, Sparks. Sparks is unfortunately no longer with us. He passed away overseas in combat. And as we got to the, to the peak of the Reaper where we were going to have our ceremony and become United States Marines, we all looked at each other and we said, let's war cry to the top. So we all gave our best war cry and we ran to the top of the Reaper. Basically collapsed at the top from exhaustion. Now, the thing about the Crucible is that's really the first time your drill instructor starts to treat you with a little bit of regard and a little bit of respect. They become more of a mentor than a drill instructor. One significant thing is they lose their campaign cover. So they have the big old smoky campaign cover and they put on their normal eight-point cover, the same cover that you're wearing, same hat for those that don't know what a cover is. And when you get to the top, you have a second to relax, drink some water, and then you all stand in formation. And in that formation, your drill instructor comes to every one of you, and he shakes your right hand, and in your left hand, he placed the Eagle Globe and Anchor. That Eagle Globe and Anchor signifies that you now have claimed the title of United States Marine. Now, nobody can take that away from you. You've, you've earned that title. For the rest of your life, you will be a United States Marine. Now, after that formation, and there wasn't a dry eye, big, tough, new Marines, every single one of them was bawling their eyes out because you've just achieved someone, something that almost nobody in this world gets to achieve, even has the opportunity to attempt to achieve it, and you've achieved it. Now, that hike back to the chow hall for what they call warrior's breakfast, there was not a single one of us that was tired anymore because we were all Marines. We were all full of energy. I swear, we made that hike back in about half the amount of time it took us to get to the Reaper. And then we enjoyed our warrior's breakfast. And from there, we went to the final stage of boot camp, which is the last week, which is basically graduation week. You get prepared for final drill. Final drill is uh, basically done in front of all the commanders of the base, each platoon does their drill, they march past, and they salute the commanders of the base. And then we go on a battalion run, and that battalion run is in front of all your family. Your whole family is there. And when they dismiss you, that's basically the end of boot camp. Everyone's allowed to hug their loved ones, everyone's emotional, and their families finally get to see their child who left 13 weeks ago. Only there's one major difference, they're all United States Marines. And so that was, that's my boot camp story. I'm Blake. I was an A1C in the United States Air Force, Security Forces. I was stationed in Minot, North Dakota. I served two years of a six-year hitch. I went to Lackland Air Force Base for basic military training in the United States Air Force in March and April of 1999. So, 
the airport, we go and get on a bus, and we arrived really late. Like, I think we were the last people to arrive that night. And we ended up, um, you kind of finally get glimpses out the window, and everything's kind of normal still at this point. Like, you're still allowed to talk to each other, but nobody really was. And then the bus comes to a stop, and the driver gets out and leaves the door open. And you're all kind of sitting there trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do. And then uh, a T.I. with the Smokey the Bear hat flies onto the bus and starts screaming. And to get off of the bus, you all unload. And you get off the bus and you come down to receiving, basically, kind of a thing. I mean, it's... I think they called it processing, I want to say. And at that time, there were yellow feet painted on the ground. It's kind of like modern social distancing kind of a thing. And you all stand on the yellow feet and you hold your bag. And then you stand there forever. And when somebody comes out and has a row file in, you go into a room that looks almost like a courtroom because there's like these desks that are sort of built into the far end and there's a bunch of people doing paperwork. Nobody's really telling you to do anything. You're just told to sit. You just sit there. And you're told to keep your eyes to yourself, which nobody knows what the hell that means. So you're kind of like trying not to get caught looking at anything, but there's all this action going on around you. And then, it gets kind of foggy for me there. The next thing I remember was we got on another bus and went to our basic training flight and unloaded again. Different person jumped on the bus and yelled at you, but at this point we kind of knew what to do. As we file out, there's a bunch of yellow feet. There were only like six of us because we were there so late at night. And we lined up across on the feet out front and then they yell us to put our bags down and we all put our bags down and we didn't do it right because we didn't do it as a team so they yelled us again again and again and again until we finally managed to put our bags down at the same time and then we pick them all up and then we're yelled at while we file upstairs it was like three flights of stairs and then you come through this door you're in this room and there's a whole ton of other people in that room all standing in their civvies looking confused standing at attention at the end of their beds and they told us to find the number on the bed and I said they're like okay well my mission is to find the number on this bed so I'm gonna look around this whole bed and all of a sudden there's a TI right in my face screaming at me because I had all this, like, hours leading up to this of keep my eyes to myself, don't look around the room, all this other stuff. And he was screaming at me to look at what my neighbor was doing because the other five guys had already found the numbers on their bed and I was the one idiot that was going slow. For anybody that's wondering, it's at the front in the top corner. Um, so, put my finger on that. Memorize the number. It's number three. Um, 
And then they have us dump our bag on the bed. They rifle through all of it. Tell us to get the bag junk. I forget what they called it. They didn't say get your shit. They never sweared. That was kind of interesting. But we had to get all this junk off of their bed and throw it all back in our bag. Then we walk to a closet, throw our bag in there. That's the last time we see it until week six. Uh, six weeks for me at that time. Go back to our bunks. Um, then we go to the lockers at the end and there was some PT gear and other stuff. They told us to put on our shorts and our t-shirt. And then we just went literally straight to bed, like no showers, no nothing. Um, so like probably, probably 15 minutes, like two hours into there, sitting there, they do lights out, you get in your bed, and I remember I'm staring out the window and there's just lights on all night. I didn't sleep at all that night. And then they came in in the morning. It gets a little foggy for me again there. There was a lot of yelling. They started kind of instructing us. At some point I picked up the portfolio and a, a BMTM1. I don't remember if that was in processing or if they gave it to us the second morning. But we had, we all had to go and put on our, our canteens and our uh, belts. Those were hanging on the ends of the bed on the post. And then we all filed out. We did that wrong. Got yelled at for that. Um, they lined us up by height in two directions. So this, what ended up happening, I don't remember if it was the front left corner or the front right corner, but the shortest person had to be there. And then you had to build across the rows and they just kept like refiling you and moving you around. And then they explained like, this is where you stand from now on, whenever we form up, this is it. So that happened. And then we started marching. That was a big day. We marched across the base we went and lined up and got haircuts we went and lined up and got issued a duffel bag and then had to line up and go through a bunch of different stations and what I thought were Air Force personnel but as it turned out later I found out it was just a detail of other people that were further along in basic training because later we pulled details they would hand out what you needed and you would put it in the bag and went all the way through that. And then you all lined up out in basically the street, no cars, it's just paved like a street out front. And you're standing there still in your civvies, which was kind of weird. And you've got all this junk. And then I think at that point we went back and then we changed into our greens, our BDUs. But we weren't allowed to wear boots yet. We were wearing these horrible New Balance tennis shoes. Hated those freaking things. And then there's a lot more going around the base and getting other issued things. At that point, my memory drops off until I think it was week two, I want to say, 
we started getting to the point where you know we could wear boots but only certain times for certain marches and we could um, we went to different I think we went and got our I think we got some shots and needed it was week two I think by week three we started pulling details uh, I pulled kitchen detail I pulled basically yard work you would go and we like did a bunch of yard work around the confidence course um, the confidence course is a place that comes up later in basic I I'll say we did that in week two and then week three I think was the first run of the confidence course and then confidence course is basically like a lot of obstacles and different things like you rappel down a rock face and you go across the monkey bars across the swamp and once like me your hands don't grip you slip and you fall in the swamp and then you're wet for the rest of the day um, there's a bunch of other stuff there I don't remember it very well but there was a whole bunch of different things and then around week four I think is when we went to CADM which is combat arms and training and that's when we all got qualified on the M16A2 rifle um, that they were actually the CADM instructors were actually relatively nice to us for the first time I think that was mostly a safety thing but we got to see our TIs at the end of the day so everything was complete um, and that we did get yelled at that day. That was the first time it was actually anything fun. Um, I can't remember which week it was in, but we took another run at the confidence course. Fell in the swamp again. Wet all day. That sucked. Um, honestly, I think they might have greased the monkey bars, but not really sure. I don't think anybody made it across that that fallen swamp. And then gets foggy at that point. We had to do a really long hike that I got heat stroke for. Like really bad heat stroke. Like the entire next day, it was on a Friday, the entire next day was Saturday. Because it's Saturday and Sunday and basic training is just really weird. Basically you sit there and organize your personal drawer read your mail or stare at the ceiling or try to talk to the other knuckleheads that are there which I didn't really make many friends in basic so the whole following Saturday I remember just laying there just hydrating and hot and then we had a, a final march and part of that was making sure the guy in front of you didn't fall down because that happened a lot essentially there were two guys in front of us me and another guy basically just carried to the end and there's a river they call it a river it's really just a really deep creek but you all have to cross it your bags can't touch the water it's basically a teamwork exercise and once you cross it, you go from being airman basic to being airman. And you get to be called airman for basically week six. In week six is the first time you get to see your blues. And 
Then there's a graduation ceremony at the end where your family shows up. It's kind of weird because at that time they were really worried about public displays of affection or PDAs as they called them. Everything's an acronym. And uh, so you see your mom and your dad, but it's kind of strange for them because like you're not supposed to hug them or anything like that. Um, and then you got to go off base with your family. We went and saw The Matrix. Um, hung out with them, went back. That was about it. And then the following Monday, everybody else got to put on their blues and catch a flight somewhere. And then all the people that were going to security forces training got to stand on the corner in their greens and wait for a bus to show up to take them to the other side of Lackland. I know I'm leaving a lot out because it's foggy as hell. That's about all I really remember. I'm Nick. I was a staff sergeant in the United States Air Force. I was stationed at Ramstein Air Base, Germany and Noho Pope, North Carolina. I attended basic military training at Lackland Air Force Base in January of 2010. When I went through, it was eight and a half weeks long. Before that, it was six and a half weeks, and I believe now it's seven and a half weeks. This was a, a, a trial run by the chief of staff at the time, and I think it ran for about four years overall to try and increase the warrior ethos of the United States Air Force. So the whole purpose of BMT is to increase your military bearing and change you from a civilian into an airman. So during this time frame, you engage in a variety of tasks. The majority of it is based upon learning how to function as a team. From your first day there, you learn to clean as a unit. You learn how to do everything together. One of my earliest memories there is standing on yellow dots and you have to pick up all your bags together and set them down in unison. And you're unable to progress until everyone in your flight can do it cohesively and without any sort of hesitation. And unlike a lot of other trainings, maybe the Army or Marine Corps, the Air Force is based upon attention to detail because so many of our things are jobs that require you to never break your concentration. And that's not to say that the other branches don't have that, but with the largest career field in the Air Force being aircraft maintenance, you have to maintain high levels of focus to, to prevent errors on, on the airframe. So one of the things we always did is, I remember, is rolling socks. And you'd probably spend a solid three hours a day rolling your damn socks. And you pull these things as tight as you can, stretch them out so they're not even wearable anymore. And you roll them all the way up, and then you have to have this smiley face in it. And then your TI come around, look at it, it'd be perfect. However, to him, look like garbage. Unroll it, throw it across the bay. And you just do that over and over again so you can get used to doing these tedious tasks. That would be your job. That way, when the person who's you know a crew chief on a jet is replacing the same part for the 10th time that day, they don't get complacent. However, there are more parts, like all our other counterparts. We go to CADM and qualify on the M16. 
we go through things like the gas chamber so you can you know know what happens in you know the worst case scenario if you ever get exposed to chemical warfare and that's in hindsight one of the most fun things that you go through and do but in the moment terrible because you go in they have you pt until you're gasping for air and then you get to take off your gas mask and they make you talk you have to be able to hold a, a light conversation so you're actually breathing the gas into your lungs and then you start hacking everything up your nose is running your eyes are just you know, you're crying like crazy and then you get to go outside and you're just like i want to rub my face but i can't so you just you rinse yourself out and you go about your day. But it's all those things that just make you feel tougher and turn you into an airman. And the one thing, I don't know if they still do it now, but our final test is called what's called the BEAST, uh, Basic Expeditionary Airman Skills Training, which was like a five-day field exercise where you go through things like a, a final ruck, uh, makeshift obstacle course you go through what it's like to clear a, a chemical warfare site to see if it's uh, okay to doff your your mop suit all in all it's a incredibly interesting thing to live through because you do all this all while someone is yelling at you the entire time I mean you don't knock it yelled at you wake up but i don't even remember what time 4 45 in the morning maybe it's not like you have a i didn't have a watch or anything you just you were always where you needed to be on time so from 4 45 till I, I guess maybe nine o'clock at night when you go to bed you you get yelled at you march all around everywhere you go uh, i mean 10 miles a day easy on a light day uh i mean i myself i lost 45 pounds in basic training it was ridiculous. I remember when I graduated, my dad walked right by me. He's like, I didn't even recognize you. I looked like a, a twig. I looked like a Q-tip. My giant, massive head just on top of my body. But it's a rewarding experience. And, you know, along the way, they, they teach you everything you need to know, not just from, you know, the basic things like chain of command and how to march, but the entire history of the Air Force. Uh, everything from the Army Air Corps all the way up to current day stuff, and we focus heavily on things like the Gulf War in uh, the early late 80s, early 90s, and build Air Force pride that way. You learn about you know, air superiority and supremacy and all these things, so you can feel a bond with your uh, brother and sister airmen that came before and after you. And then, at the end of the eight and a half weeks, you have your graduation ceremony, like everyone, and your, your TI makes his way through your formation, and he shakes your hand, and in that palm of his hand, he passes you a coin, and that's an airman's coin, and it has the half Arnold wings on it, and the Air Force core values. And I still have mine to this day. Um, it's really the only coin I have, actually. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I can't speak for anyone other than myself, but it's just one of those things that, to me, is important. Uh, I don't display it or anything, but it's it's cool to have and remember as a memento of that that final stage, that culmination of all the anxiety you had when you joined and leading up to basic, and those memories of oh wow, is this what I really want to do? And remembering that at that point, it was the hardest thing you you've ever done most likely.
and you completed it, and you joined an elite brotherhood of the United States military. You got a coin? I didn't get no coin. Yeah. I got a diploma. <laughs> we didn't get a certificate? Yeah. Fucking coin. I'll bring my coin next time for you to see. I'll bring mine. Assholes. The what the hell did they come up with that shit? I didn't get a coin. I, I like how you had to cover your thing up. Warrior. Oh, don't even get airmen started on warrior ethos. Do you have the air- you didn't have the airman's creed, but I will tell you. Here's the airman's creed. We did have the airman's oh, creed. I'm a warrior airman. I am faithful to a proud heritage. A, a legacy of I don't remember. That's <laughs> but the last. Thing, I will not fail. That that really captures the warrior ethics of the. We had an airman's creed, but that one had. So there was a guy when I was in General Schwartz. I don't give a fuck. You're a tool bag. Uh, he decided that he wanted the Air Force to compete with the Army. I mean, but that, yeah, that's not what the Air Force is. The Air Force is, our only heritage is changing our heritage. I'll tell you, because they just switched to OCPs, and I've, I've seen this all over the internet, I've heard it from friends who are still in. They took the only thing we had left from our uniform, wearing our stripes on our sleeve, and moved it to the center of our fucking chest. There you go. The only thing that we had. We wore it on the center of our chest on a little tab on our Gore-Tex over here. But that is the only yeah. uniform style that we ever wore. From the Army Air Corps until a couple years ago, it was always on your sleeves. And they took that shit. How about the uh, mission of the Marine Corps Rif- Rifle Squad? Locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by fire maneuver. Oh, no, no. Mission of the Marine Corps Rifle Squad. To locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by fire and close combat and repel the enemy's assault by fire maneuver or something to that regard. We had a training exercise that lasted overnight before that final ruck. I wonder if that's somewhat what yours was like, because ours was with the stupid flashlights with the yellow cones. I, and everybody would jack with their flashlight for like the weekend before to try to make it switch faster, because that was how you fired. You guys had weekends off? No. We had weekends off. All I remember about really Beast was... The T.I. wasn't even there for the weekend. I had to pee Holy so bad. Fuck. That's all I remember. All the time at night. Because they make you drink water. By the time Nick was in, they didn't have weekends off. We went through a fucking exercise where it was it was essentially like a live fire exercise. They had these fucking pneumatic guns just firing over our heads while we fucking crawled through ice cold water in the dead of winter under barbed wire and... So many of us got like hypothermia. We had to like strip down. When we got back to the barracks. It was absolutely fucking miserable. So like weekends were not off by any way, shape, or form. Saturday was still a PT day, and we still trained. There was no classroom day because what they did is they rotated TIs. You carried a flight, then you had a, a couple weeks of light duty, which really just meant you went home, which you deserve it if you're a TI after two weeks of being there. You know, sixteen hours a day, I guess. But. Sundays was you could go to church if you wanted, and we had that. My TI yeah, was go to church on Sundays. My TI was a religious guy, so he always went to church. Learn after about week two, I'm not going where he's going. Yeah, absolutely. So you stay and you just mop, which you just you mopped once, and then you just did the dirtbag thing. I declared Pentecostal because they had the longest service. And I, I went there to church the first couple weeks, and then I had to go to Wiccan church once for fun, not for fun, but. Yeah, we recognize Wicca as a religion. You cannot tell anyone that their religion is not true. Did you guys have stress cards? I heard no, y'all that's have stress not a cards. Thing. I've gotten into fights with 
geezer veterans about stress cards before. <laughs> they don't exist. Geezer veterans. That's I don't remember your stress veterans. cards. I remember 341s. 341s Air Force yeah. Form 341. What is yep. that? It's this thing that you have to fill out, and if you mess up, you put in your violation and you give it to your TI, and after so many, like you, your world c- collapses. It's just Ours like were pre-filled. Yes. And anybody that wanted to display, you had to have three on you at all times, which meant you had to carry six. Yeah, hidden. <laughs> but you had to have them folded up into this tiny, it had to be the size of a quarter. And if anybody was mad at you for anything you did, like any altercation or whatever, the words you were here were, give me a 341. And you would hand over your 341. They would write on it whatever the mm, hell they were mad right. about. They would take it away. And there were these boxes all over the base they could drop it in. And then that would go back and it would come back. And in the day room, when you would all gather, your TI would read through the 341s he had gotten back. And you would get disciplined at that point for whatever it was. Ours, I mean, we didn't have a form. You would just get destroyed on fucking site. You would oh, get, no, that happened too. You would get... IT- oh, no, that was part of it. Yeah, you would get IT'd. They'd basically fucking slay you. you do mountain climbers. Well, actually, one of my favorite memories is... I'm not the only one who's done it. Plenty of Marines have done this before me. Plenty of Marines from my platoon did this. But the drill instructors fucking with you. Push-ups, sit-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, jumping jacks, monkey fuckers, mountain climbers. And then you're doing mountain climbers, mountain climbers, you wait a few seconds and you stand up. What the fuck are you doing, recruit? Sir, this recruit has reached the top of the mountain. <laughs> Good, get back down on the fucking road. Blah, 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 blah. And then they'd slay you some more. Now, did you guys have like remedial punishment, stuff that wasn't physical? Because I remember so many times we'd come back from class or whatever and all your spare boots, your low quarters, and your running shoes would be tied together. And I mean the entire flights. So that's three pairs of shoes times 52. And you have, you know, you got 30 seconds on time and you put them back where you're supposed to. We would have something similar to that. We would come back and the entire squad bay would be destroyed. Mattresses, blankets, uh, everything would just be piled up fucking six feet high everywhere. And then you'd have to unfuck it. And so everyone's shit would be all mixed up and... So you get bed bugs. And then you'd have to you'd have to basically put the squad bay back together. That's what Father Flight would do, not to that degree, but they would come in and they would do what was called button ferry and they would in the middle of the night, your father flight is a flight that's there in an adjacent dorm. But ahead of you. But ahead of you by like I think it's like two weeks, something like that. And they would come in, they're who teaches you how to do dorm guard and like all these other things that you have to do. And then uh, they would come in in the middle of the night. I remember I woke up one night and I'm like, what are you doing? So I go back to sleep. So I checked all my, because your uniform for the day, for the next day is hanging in front of your locker. Yes, it is. I checked and all my buttons were done up in weird ass ways and shit like that. So I would unfuck it rapidly. They would do weird shit like that to us. Oh, there you go. There were endless threads on everything that you had oh, to. Oh, yeah. Like, you get a little big lighter at the uh, the BX so you could sit there and light all these threads off. That was like the first thing you did on the first weekend because otherwise you're sitting there trying to cut them off with nail clippers and it takes forever. No, we had little scissors. That's how you kill a half hour in between class. Clip strings off your uniform. We had all the classes like you described. I totally forgot about those. Yeah, we had we had those classes as well. And then everyone, like, 
sometimes you do classes elsewhere on the base. Mm -hmm. You'd march to the class, and then sometimes you would just do what's called like a school circle around your one of your drill instructors, mainly your senior drill instructor, and everyone would sit, you know, cross-legged with left hand on left knee, right hand on right knee. If you fucking move, they'd slay you. Ooh. I remember distinctly one of my senior or my senior drill instructor if someone would fart he'd be like over that shit right now and you'd have to stick your head between your legs and until he was satisfied that you had hoovered up all the fart See, <laughs> I think so many people just assume that basic training or boot camp is like non-stop physical activity yeah. and getting messed up but we spent hours a day in class I mean it must have been five hours absolutely it's it's a lot of academic stuff too like there was a final test that we took at the end that you have to pass you have to make sure that you know your chain of command, your rank structure, how the M16 works, all these things. We'd study in line yes. to go get food. Yes. Like you'd sit there and like anytime you were idle, you were supposed to be reading through your BMTM1 that had everything in it. It had like your entire chain of command from the president all the way down mm -hmm. to your dorm chief. Or your half man, which was like a, I don't even that book was ridiculous it was probably two inches thick and it had like everything to do in the event of a war <laughs> there was an invasion China you, we had a flight there, crew checklist we had we had a book similar to that and you'd sit there and you'd highlight shit because you knew you were going to be tested on it that day like all the air superiority stuff and everything else i remember also we would uh you'd have to go study in the day room like if they had nothing for you to do you'd all sit cross-legged on the floor actually funny story so I forgot when we went and got our haircuts we were wearing that was the first thing we were wearing was our our overcoats because we got those issued out in the day room the first day but you go into the day room and they tell you it all you know get in the day room so we all get in the day room we're all standing around it's like you all better be sitting by the time i get in there uh okay so we're like there's nowhere to sit like everything's piled up with coats that you're about to get issued we didn't know what that was but all the chairs are covered and they're all along the wall all the way around it so one of the kids goes sit in a circle sit in a circle we're like okay so we all sit down in a circle ti walks in what is this you're singing kumbaya fix it runs out of the room like, uh, okay that wasn't right <laughs> so we all line up and face toward the front and then he had a certain order he wanted everybody to go in and he assigned everybody different jobs. He called them details, but yep. details was actually a different thing later. Ooh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, one of them he assigned, so he assigned like the dorm chiefs and the this, and he had like signs, yeah, you know, seating like where you go and all this other stuff. And you sit behind whoever your uh, your was your team lead or something like that. Element, element lead. your element lead. So you'd sit behind your element lead and all these other things. And then there was one. He's like, you, Kaznati. You're my, uh, you're the latrine queen. You know, you're in charge of the latrine. You sit front and center. It's like, we're sitting there like, why is the guy that cleans the bathroom the most important? And then he gives this whole speech about hygiene and why hygiene's gonna save our lives. And literally like latrine queen was above fucking dorm chief, anything like in charge of it all. Like it was weird. Uh, different in 2010, latrine queen number two, dorm chief number one. But that's only because the train queen had like a eight person crew, which I was on. Fucking cool. No one loves cleaning toilets for We had uh, we had the guide. The guide was basically the leader of our boot camp platoon, and then we had his squad leaders. Can't remember, I wanna say there was four squad leaders. 
and basically the guy's job was to like get us into the positions we needed to be in and then the squad leaders kind of did his bidding then we had the scribe the scribe would basically write down anything the drill instructor wanted him to write and then we had what else house mouse he was in mm. he was in charge yeah, of you know the cleaning supplies and and all that stuff I can't think of any other like we had guides but they weren't important oh our guides were incredibly important they marched at the front of the formation so the formation was four across four marines across and then the guide yeah they carry the guide on which is yeah. a flag on a stick yeah well and it's the most important thing you don't ever let the guide touch the ground the drone shark would yeah. throw the guide and everyone would sacrifice their bodies to keep it off the ground they never did that with us but the guide couldn't t the guide on couldn't touch the ground and the guide on also was always the shortest person mm -hmm. and sat, I think it was, they were in front of, they were in front of the element lead that was the shortest element lead because that was how they set it up for us to, so each element lead had a different height and then like the tallest person was all the way in the back corner and they just arranged it that way. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of crazy stuff happens in basic, though. Like, I remember we have one guy, and at the time, everyone thought he was doing this on purpose to, to get out of the Air Force. Now, in hindsight, it was probably a real medical issue, you know, maybe associated with anxiety or a yeah. UTI, because you always have to pee. But he wet the bed. Oh, shit. Frequently. I mean, probably five nights a week. He ended up... No one knows what happened to him. Yeah, he got separated. I mean, probably. Good, good chance. We had some guys get separated. I can't remember distinctly who, but I, mean, I knew. The fastest way out is just to graduate. Yeah. Like, we I, had guys that get recycled in from other flights. I don't think we lost anybody to separation in basic. We, we lost, lost one to med flight. We lost one dude to a broken leg. He broke his leg first week. Yikes. Fell down the flight of stairs. He was still there when we left. And they're kicking him out. That's terrible. But they wouldn't kick him out until his leg was healed. So he had to sit in the hospital for eight weeks or whatever. One thing I distinctly remember about boot camp, it was very poetic, is, you know, we're in the squad bays in the bunk bed, and I had a, a top rack. And Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego is literally only separated by the flight line of the San Diego airport by a barbed wire fence. So you would run along this fence, and you would see the planes taken off, all of that. But I remember sitting in my rack at night, they, they, and we'd have to, you know, we'd have to lay at the position of attention while taps played. And I remember just like the poetic nature of taps playing while you're laying in your bed and you're just seeing planes leave San Diego and all you're doing is dreaming, dreaming about being on that plane someday, getting the fuck out of boot camp, getting out of this hellhole that is boot camp. I, I just remember that distinctly. I remember the feeling, the goosebumps, the goosebumps you would get from taps playing. I mean, there's really, it's dead silent and tap starts playing over the whole base and it's nighttime and I was just, I always look back on that actually fondly, especially now. Maybe at the time it wasn't a fond, fond I mean, thing. You but. say you wanted to leave, but at the same time, it's like, it was the shortest eight and a half weeks of my life. At the time, probably the longest. Yeah. But now it's like, we did so much. We were so busy. Every day just flew by. Yeah, you look at the bulk of your your military career, and then you know, oh for yeah, me it was thirteen weeks of 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 hell. That's somewhat hell. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of parts of it. I was always very like physically gifted, so a lot of the the PT and all that you know really wasn't too bad. And I always felt I was pretty psychologically strong. So 
boot camp didn't really have the same effect on me that it had on a lot of people. A lot of people really broke them down. They were not having a good time. I generally had a good time. You know, the the whole the whole thing I talked about about the Marine Corps boot camp is meant to break down nasty civilians and turn them into United States Marines. There was a lot of parts about myself that the Marine Corps boot camp didn't break. You know, I still had a lot of my character. I had weird shit happen. I mean, I remember, like, one note that is interesting to me was you got to lay at attention for taps. We had to stand at attention for taps mm -hmm. and Reveille. And then the first, the, like, the very next thing you did was get in Iraq. The... Something weird happened that I forgot about in my monologue that was strange. One of the strange-ass details I pulled was it was in week six, and there were only a few of us around. And they called up from downstairs and told the dorm guard to send somebody down. So I ended up being the one that volunteered. And I went downstairs in to talk to the, uh, the, like the desk there where all the TIs basically did like their paperwork and stuff. And they had me sit in a room with a kid that had claimed he was suicidal and talk to him while he was trying to figure out like which way was up. And all I could think was like, I just kept talking to him I'm like, what week are you even in? And he's like, oh, I'm in week four. It's like, dude, you are so close. Why are you screwing with this? Uh -huh. Just get done and get out. And then after that, the TI debriefed me. He's like, well, what did he say? And I'm like, well, he's not suicidal. And the TI's like, what do you mean? He's like, he just doesn't want to be here. And he's like, oh, well, we'll correct that. <laughs> So I went to boot camp on what's called the buddy program. I don't know if they have that in the Air Force, but essentially we thought it was the best idea at the time, but me and my best friend signed up on the buddy program. So that would, I, th I guess that basically ensured that we went to boot camp together and we're in the same platoon together. And then you realize you've made a great mistake because then the drill instructor said, oh, you guys are buddies, huh? And so you rack together. Anytime your buddy fucks up, you fucked up and you have to get destroyed together. So. Typically, it was him messing up. I hope he listens to this podcast and he hears me throwing him under the bus. It would be him who messed up most of the time, and I would get destroyed because of it. So that was always a we had a buddy time. system, but nobody in my basic training flight was in on it. Don't know if it even existed. I would highly advise if you're thinking about joining the military that you do not do the buddy system. You go on your own, and, and you're your own independent person because. Eh, no, you know what? I take that back. Buddy system is awesome. You should definitely do it. <laughs> to those of you that are confused, buddy system bad, buddy system good. Like most things in the military. Did you, either of you do KP? Yeah, I pulled that a couple of times. I did it three times. The one thing that was nice was you got to eat without the TIs there and there yes. was no real rush. And you were the one running like the ice cream machine. So you got that shit huh. you guys had ice cream machines so it wasn't for everybody in basic oh, like yeah. it was basically there for the TIs to use and uh -huh. I guess people in week 6 could do it but so we would be eating at the chow hall while getting screamed at yes. I swear we had 3 minutes to eat we'd yeah. have to wolf it down and you'd have to sit at an empty table so you'd go through the line you'd get your food you got to pick your food from whatever's in the buffet that would end up thrown on whatever on your plates onto your tray you would gather all of that then you would walk down the chute the chute basically leads up to what's called the snake pit snake which is where pits. all the which is where all the ti's sit 
the guide on, or no, it was the runner. Chow runner. The chow runner had to go in, get permission to bring your flight yep. in. Um, but you would basically like, had to walk a certain distance, turn. Yeah, perfect spot. You had walk, to do a 90 degree pivot. If you fucked it up, they were all gonna scream at you. And then you would walk down and then you would turn again and then you would walk over to where there were these four person tables. And you would sit at whatever the end table was. With and no if one. you were the first one there, you sat at attention until the rest of it filled with whoever else was coming. And then you could eat. Well, no, then whoever sat at the table first was the leader and went to call for prayer. So it's basically like... So it's prayer? Yeah, literally all you had to say was, does anybody choose to pray at this time? And... If they chose to pray, they chose to pray. They did their thing. And then when they were done, everybody was done, and then you could chow down. The chaser TI would basically be standing at the door and would start running the line. What's, what's the chaser? Is that like the, the mean uh, one? Yeah, I'm telling you. So the TI that's the chaser would basically follow through and like yell at each table. So you hear this cascade of yelling behind you and that is basically the signal of if they're three tables away, I've got like a minute and a half. So gotcha. we could only eat until the next table was full. So once they be, once that table behind you got that final person to sit down, you had to be out. So did you guys have different, so you, you call your drill instructors TIs, right? Yeah, training, training instructor. Okay, so ours was drill instructor. Uh, did, did they have different billets? Like for instance, we had our senior drill instructor. He was typically a staff sergeant or a gunnery sergeant. Mine was a staff sergeant. And then we had our, I believe one was called the kill hat. He was basically the biggest asshole. He would do all the destroying of souls. And then we had the heavy. And I believe his job was to do all of like the drill and, and the, a lot of the instruction and and stuff like that. Typically, your senior drill instructor was definitely like, I hate to use this word because it's not really true, but the nicer of the of the three or four drill instructors that you had, he would be like daddy, and then the others would be like the big, mean older brothers or uncles who would just destroy your soul at all, any given moment. So we had two TIs in our flight, and our brother flight, which is just the exact same thing, the exact people in the exact same squadron, exact same week with two TIs. And then over those four TIs, we had what was called the blue rope. And those guys were essentially the equivalent of a senior drill instructor. Those were your E6 or E7, a master sergeant. And, it, but they were not nice. They did not save you. If they came in, it's because you screwed up royally. I still very much remember that man. I remember his name. He is frightening. And he wore the stupid taps on his boots. Right, those little mini horseshoes that go on the heel of your boots. And when he'd walk down the hallway, you hear ting, 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 ting. And you're like, oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. Did you guys have fire watches? So watching? our senior yes. TI was pararescue and was a senior airman. And then we had the TI for our flight. We had a sister flight, which was the females upstairs. They were, we shared numbers in different ways. So when we fell out, we were mixed between the two numbered flights. But when we were in the dorms, we were one number and they were the number, the next number. And we had a staff sergeant who was below our senior TI. And he, our pararescue senior TI, who was a senior airman, wore the taps. He was the only one that did that. 
I'm not familiar with these taps that you They're little about. metal things that are screwed to your boots yeah. for when you run drill. So they make clicking sounds when they snap together in the right way. So. Oh. And they make uh, sounds when you walk. If we had those, I surely don't remember. Or and then we had another senior airman who was actually third in command, but honestly the nicest guy. Um, he helped out a lot. I remember that guy well. And that was basically it. And then we had our staff sergeant got pulled because he smiled too much and it made the females uncomfortable, apparently. <laughs> so there were reports against him. Oh, God. And uh, so we finished out basic with the, the two senior airmen. And there was one guy who was, he didn't get to wear the Smokey the Bear hat. He only got to wear a standard cover. And he was in training to become a TI. Gotcha. But uh, you asked about Firewatch. That's just the nighttime thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Just we have to stand in a pose. Yeah, we had that two hours all through the night. And uh, terrible. You, you remember that? The person? You remember that feeling? Of getting woken up for your shift to Firewatch, like, flashlight in your face. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to sleep for two hours, then i got to be awake for two hours, then i get to sleep for two more hours. So that was actually a game I played. We call it Dorm Guard. I would purposely pull Dorm Guard in the shift that would cross the morning, because then I didn't have to fall out and didn't have to do PT. <laughs> but I remember that you had that the list of instructions. Someone would come to the door and you'd have to go through it, and you'd have to be like... Present your common access card. One common access Yeah, card. no, exactly. And you had to follow and along. Then you had it was to, like one military ID yeah. card. And then you would go back because the TIs would fuck with you and they would put up like anything, like whatever. They'd hold up their TI hat. So you would literally go through the whole procedure. One TI hat. One yep. military identification card. Yep. Like putting your finger on the fucking wall. And you would go back to the door. And I'm like, Sorry, sir, you are not cleared for entry. Or no, sorry, Sergeant, you're not cleared for entry. Would they destroy you when you did that? Well, they're on no, the you're supposed to do yeah, that. Yeah, you're supposed to say no. You're, it's to make sure that people are And then you would get authorized. a call over the radio because they would be like, fine. And then they would walk downstairs. The whole flight, by the way, like is waiting now. in the hallway for you to open the door. So they're like, just open the door. Half of them are yelling, open the door. Half of them are yelling, don't open the door. And you're just sitting there like, this is the procedure. I'm following the procedure. And they would come over the radio. You know, Staff Sergeant so-and-so is on personal recognition today. Then we look over, they would put their fucking big-ass face in the fucking <laughs> window. It's like, Staff Sergeant so-and-so, you are cleared on personal recognition. You swing the fucking door open and then everybody starts filing in. <laughs> I remember this one time, it was pulling dorm guard by myself. It was right before we were supposed to wake up and a, a female TI comes up to the door. And whenever a female TI comes in, you have to yell at the top of your lungs, female entering the dormitory. Yes. And But it was it was early and everyone was still asleep. So I was like, I don't know if I can let her in. Am I gonna yell and wake everyone up? So I go through and I'm like, I'm like screw it. What's the worst case scenario? I get yelled at. So I yell, female entering the dormitory and she starts kicking the door. So I'm not coming in, you motherfucking idiot. And I'm like, well, you're not supposed to swear at me. But also, she's just going nuts, pounding on the door, throwing shit, and I'm like, well, this is fun. <laughs> she was fucking mean. For those wondering at home, the correct procedure is you radio down <laughs> on the little box and ask for instructions. No, you can't touch the box. We cannot. We were touch allowed the to touch the box. Oh, Talkie box, no touch. Marines don't have radios in boot camp. It's a it's an intercom built into the. 
Yeah, so we they turn on all the time to they listen to what you're doing. Uniform of the day. PT jacket, PT shirt, PT shorts, PT pants, running shoes. That would come over right after Reveille. Yep. Yeah, we didn't have that. Drill instructors would just be like, Reveille, 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 get out of your fucking ball right now. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Yeah. Ooh, you have night raids? Oh, but also, when you go to week two, they would call it over right before taps, and then you would everybody would go set their shit out really quick because you knew taps was mm-hmm. coming in seconds. So... What's some fucked up shit that you've seen in boot camp, Jens? All right. So, I mean, your TI's got to go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, naturally. They do. And it, there, is a, there is a bed in their office, but I don't, I don't know if anyone ever really slept there. Like, they'd stay till you were asleep, but they'd eventually leave, I assume, because they got a family. I was dorm guard at night. They would leave about an hour and a half after everyone was so asleep. So, naturally, you got a bunch of 18, 19-year-old men around. Debauchery's going to happen. We had a time-honored tradition called gargoyling. Something I, myself, as an outstanding airman, never participated in. I never participated in this. But you strip down, naked, post yourself up on the corner of someone's bed in a gargoyle position, and dangle your balls in their face, and then your your bunkmate wakes up the guy in the bed. We did not do that. We did not do that. I mean, we kind of did. We, we did similar stuff to that, but did you guys ever see a blanket party happen? No. Dude's, I, dude's fucking up in boot camp, so you give him the old blanket party? Yeah, I know what it is. That I've never seen it. ALA full metal jacket style? So the way that that worked when, like, okay, so in full metal jacket, they did it with soap and, you know, uh, towels. The Socks. way it happened in ours Socks, was yeah. it was just towels. So... A little softer core than RB makes it out to be. Yeah, ours was just balled up, one sock balled up in the bottom of a yeah. long sock, and then you just. So, I mean, they just used towels, and basically I was on dorm guard. So, somebody, like, I'm doing my rounds because you do your little walk around, and then somebody, like, perks their head up, and then I'm like, go back to sleep. He's like, well, no, we're doing a thing. Go back to sleep. Walk the rest of my loop. I hear this fucking ruckus. So I will walk over there, look down the way, and three of them are pointing flashlights in this kid's eyes. One kid's got a towel through his mouth, and then like six of them are just whipping him with towels. And I'm like, what in the fuck is this? Hell yeah. So in that moment, I'm sitting there like, okay, neato. Do I really want to try to take on seven guys? Nope. Walk straight back out, walk straight over to the intercom, buzz it twice. What? Bunch of guys are beating a guy. What do you want me to do? This is incorrect bearing. I'm sorry. TI of the day. A bunch of people are beating a guy in a bunk. What would you like me to do? Your report is invalid. Go back to your station. Okay. I remember one time when we were in the gas chamber. So like you were saying in, in your monologue, you know, you're doing all kinds of exercises that are making you run through all the all the drill. Well, you know, the whole point of that is to make sure you have a proper proper seal on your on your gas mask. Well, not everybody does it the right way. They don't don it the right way and well, so they so they start choking on it right when they get into the fucking gas chamber. 
And I remember this one kid in particular starts freaking out. And he gets the bright idea that he's going to make a beeline for the door and escape to freedom. So he starts running towards the door, flailing, and just gets clotheslined into eternity. Another kid starts freaking out. He's hyperventilating and bleh, he just oh. throws up and you just see it splatter against the two eye holes of the mask and fill his mask up with puke. So the drill instructors are like screaming at him while trying to save his ass at the at the same time. We're all trying not to lose our bearings so we don't get destroyed in the middle of the gas chamber. Oh, it was brilliant. So we had to, and this was a tech school, we had to learn how to don gas masks. Yeah. But we did not do that in basic. We weren't even issued gas masks in basic. We had no gas chamber, none of that. Maybe that was part of the warrior thing that happened around when Nick was in. Uh, but I did it. No fun, but fun. Fun experience in, in hindsight, but not in the moment. But I don't know, other messed up things I saw. I have this distinct memory of this one guy, huge country guy, and during haircuts, I don't know, maybe the barber didn't drink that morning, but he had the shakes, took a huge chunk right out of the top of his head. Uh, quarter size, you know, it's probably half inch deep, blood gushing everywhere, whatever. Now, like, half a week later, his head looks fucking terrible. I mean, it's like, it's infected all over his head. He's got a freaking skin disease now for the rest of basic. And he's walking around, he's the ugliest motherfucker I've ever seen now. And he's getting picked on by every TI cause you know, he's got freaking leprosy. Oh no. <laughs> Did you guys ever have to go through the gauntlet at medical? Is that? Yeah, yeah, with the, the shots. With the shots? Yeah, we had that. Everybody rolls up their sleeves, two nurses on either side, stab each arm, probably go to the next set, stab each We all had to be sitting down and they would go through the whole thing. And then we had to do oral polio and like a whole shit ton of shots. Brutal. Then at the end you get to drop your pants if you're- Peanut butter shot? I was, I'm allergic to penicillin, so I didn't have that. No, but you know what the peanut butter shot is, right? No. So the peanut butter shot is a bicellin shot and it's this big giant syringe with this whitish off-white thick frozen goop inside and they they hand it to you and you're just desperately trying to roll it in your hands to get it to fucking unfreeze at least a little bit so and you you walk up you pull your pants down a quarter of the way just to expose the chop top of your cheek and they just jab this fucking thing in your ass and push this stuff in and it's so thick that you like have a lump where they injected it and so like for the next hour you're trying to rub the lump out on your butt I mean other fucked up shit like it didn't happen to me when I was pulling dorm guard because I always followed the procedure but one kid didn't so he had to write letters to letters to the parents of everybody in the entire oh, flight no. about how he had killed them because he had not properly performed his duty and all this other shit. So he had to sit there all day on a Saturday writing all these letters out and turn them in on a Monday. And then the other thing that fucked up was when we did our phone calls, we all marched out there and it was at like this, it was funny because it was at a BX. We didn't get to go into the BX proper, but there was like these phone booth area in front of it. And they would come in and chunks of an element, I think it was like six people on a shot, something like that, would go in, get to call their parents, and they were continually briefing. It's like, you call your parents, tell them you're okay, tell them everything's fine, and you get back outside. 
one lady went in, and I guess she was in there too long or something, so they come out with her, screaming at her the whole time, make her stand in front of the entire flight and apologize because these other people aren't going to get their phone calls or this other thing or whatever. So then they randomly pick somebody and go, you don't get your phone call. But actually something really cool happened at that point because I hadn't had my phone call yet and like 10 others of us didn't. And a whole bunch of us just volunteered and said, yeah, I, I won't take mine. And ultimately all of us got to, but it was actually kind of the first teamwork thing that I saw was a bunch of people actually wanting to give up something so that somebody else wouldn't have to. I have a question for both of you. Okay. What would you do differently before you left for basic? And what advice would you have for someone who was about to leave? Let's say they had like two months before they were going to leave. I would say that my number one advice, because really, honestly, you want to say research, but the research does nothing. There's nothing research-wise, nothing on Google that's going to pre truly prepare you for what you're about to face. So if I were to tell someone two months from boot camp, I would say physical fitness. Really start putting an effort into running and pull-ups and, and, and just general physical fitness and just work on getting your mind right, getting the right mindset for what you're about to endure. Because it really is, whether you went to Air Force boot camp, Army boot camp, Marine Corps boot camp, while some are harder than others, some are longer than others, we all have a similar experience, right? I think that's something I'm learning tonight is, I always thought Air Force boot camp was the, the pussiest of all the boot camps and that you didn't Coast Guard. Okay, I don't even know if I consider them a branch. But anyway, that's that's for another podcast. Um, so, you know, it, it, we all go through similar, you, you mentioned the confidence course. We go through the confidence course, the O course is what we call yeah. it. Uh, so I would say really get your, your physical fitness down. That's gonna be uh, one of the hardest things for a lot of people. Other than that, there's really not a whole lot that you can do to prepare yourself outside of that. Um, it's really a unique experience going to boot camp. It's going to test you in so many different ways, physically, mentally. You're going to be, for a lot of people, you're going to be homesick. A lot of the times, that's the first time people have been away from, from their loved ones. Uh, you know, they say, oh, a lot of these people haven't shot guns. I'm not saying go out and shoot guns. It's not, not necessary because a lot of the times the people who shot the best were the ones who had never shot a gun before because they were malleable, they were trainable. That's what they told us academists. If you shot habitually before, you potentially have bad habits. Bad habits. Um, yeah, so just, just take some time to mentally prepare. Uh, really think about what you're going to attempt and go through. Uh, what do you wish you did? I... Honestly, not to talk myself up, but I did all of those things that I'm suggesting. I mentally prepared myself. I physically prepared myself. Uh, I was always very physically gifted, so a lot of the physical stuff didn't uh, didn't really affect me too much. Um, for people who are afraid of heights, that might be a good thing to prepare for. You are going to face a lot of heights. There's uh, we went through the rappelling course, went through something called the hell hole where you're in like a mock helicopter and the floor opens up and you free fall out of it. Uh, so uh, the slide for life, you have to climb this rope net up like 50 feet and then there's a, a wire going across that goes from the top of the tower down over a pool. 
and the goal is to, to not fall, but you're, you're, you're at a great height, you know, even though you know there's a pool below you, it's still nerve wracking. Um, you know, prepare for that. Well, again, that leads to the, the mental game. I've got a few things. I would say definitely the physical, cardio, and working on upper body strength. But I would also prepare for the mental. I would strongly suggest studying for anything, doesn't matter what. A lot of people showed up and there were folks that couldn't even read very well. So it's like, make sure that you can read and assimilate a massive amount of information rapidly. I would also say, test yourself a little bit so that it's not uncomfortable when it happens. You know, flip your schedule all around. You know, wake up at four o'clock in the morning. You know, do mentally taxing things when you're half asleep. Stay up for a day and a half, two days. Do something extremely complicated. Play chess, do a puzzle, do something mechanical, solve a Rubik's Cube, whatever. Because you're going to have to use those skills and it's vastly easier if it's the second time, not the first time. When we went through what I talked about in my monologue, the, the crucible, again, that's a, you know, absolutely one of the most intense things you'll ever go through in your life, period, in, in all of your career. You're, you're on two meals in three days, you're on a couple hours of sleep, so really prepare yourself for that lack of sleep, that lack of food. Uh, life doesn't prepare you for that. Boot camp in the beginning does not prepare you for that. You get your three meals a day, you know, you get plenty of sleep, but what you don't get is is a lack, you know, of, of food and, and that hunger that, that does something. It it weakens you mentally to be that hungry. It it weakens you to be that sleep deprived. I remember on, on the hike to the base of the Reaper, I was hallucinating. I barely remember the five, ten mile whatever the miles were to the base of the Reaper. I, I don't even remember that part of the hike. It was pitch black, and I just put one foot in front of the other. Is there anything you wish you did differently, Blake, leading up to basic? I wish I'd worked more on upper body strength. Oddly, that ends up being a fairly important skill. Things other than that, it's not really for me, but I saw a lot of guys have this problem. If you have any issues with people like someone really fucking annoys you or something like that go spend a lot of time with that person <laughs> just get mentally prepared for the fact that there are going to be people that you are going to hate that you're going to be spending a massive amount of time with and that's a hundred percent your problem zero percent theirs so building those muscles to be able to just put up with shit very key and also remember keep in mind you are going to make it through you are gonna make it through it. It might be some of the toughest days and nights of your life. You might ask yourself, why did I do this? But if you're really committed, you will make it through. You are designed to make it through. Mm -hmm. I guarantee for 99.5% of listeners, you're no different from us, in the, from us right here. And you're no different from all the millions of people who've made it through. Also remember the fastest way out is through. Yes. Yeah. And things get drastically different post-basic training. Absolutely. You won't always be at boot camp. You will have a life after boot camp, and it will be good to some extent. <laughs> Two to three months is a very short time out of four years. Yeah. 
This is Tango Bravo. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed episode one of Tango Bravo. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. 